The Overwhelmed Brain is a proud provider of self-empowerment for your personal evolution. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Isn't it even more annoying when someone tells you to THINK POSITIVELY? If you get into a car accident, just use one of your other cars until you buy a new one. Uh, not everyone has more than one car. <laughs> now who's the idiot? Next you'll tell me that not everyone uses a golf cart inside their house to get from room to room. <laughs> you should come to my THINK POSITIVELY advanced seminar. I'll school you good and put your pessimism in the trash. Right. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And if you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, well, I would love to welcome you, but you're in the wrong place. This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. I'm going to start the show today by talking about a TEDx talk. I think it's TEDx. It might be just TED. Uh, from someone named Judson Brewer. He is a PhD at Yale, and he teaches uh, people to beat their addictions using mindfulness. And I thought that was an interesting subject, so I pressed play in YouTube and watched his talk, and I immediately resonated with what he was saying because it is something that I didn't know I was teaching or had taught in the past indirectly. And it had to do with an experience that I had with my addiction with sugar. And, you know, when I say addiction with sugar, it wasn't like I had cravings that I couldn't control and I had to have it all the time. But a lot of us <laughs> that have had junk food in our life want more junk food. And when you eat sugar, you typically want more sugar. And in fact, Dr. Brewer says that we are more addicted to sugar. People are more addicted to sugar than they are to cocaine. It's that addictive. And, you know, that is probably an accurate statistic. When I used to drink a lot of soda, I definitely had a, a different diet back then. Um, this was in my 20s and then some into my 30s. And I had what I can look at now as cravings. Back then, I just looked at it as, hey, I want a soda. But nowadays, I go, I think about it and go, wow, that's a craving. Because even now, I like sweet tea. And if I find myself uh, waking up tired and just needing some energy, I go, oh, I'm going to have some tea. And then I have to think about it and go, wait, is that just something that I want because I want more energy? Or is that a craving? And I start becoming a little mindful about it. Now, the talk I saw on Dr. Brewer didn't really teach it in that respect, 
but he did teach it in the respect of something that I did to cut my cravings for soda when I was addicted. Again, I didn't even know about his work, but it is something that I practiced that may help you if you have any kind of addiction. And it, it was this. Uh, but first, before I tell you what it is, I want to mention that I decided to take a break from all sugar, including the foods that converted into sugar, like like um, potatoes and starches and white bread and things like that, and also fruit that contained sugar as well. All sugar, I just took it out of my diet. And I did that for two months because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was tired. I had no energy. I couldn't think straight. I was like, well, maybe, you know, I hear sugar is bad for you. So let me try cutting sugar out of my diet. And I'm, I'm the type of person that can quit things cold turkey. It's easy for me to just quit cold turkey. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but, <laughs> but this is where I'm leading it uh, today is that I was doing something that I didn't even realize I was doing and it helped me to quit cold turkey. It helped me to get to a place of not craving sugar. And what I did was mindfulness. Now, before you think you might know what that means, like just sit and meditate and soon all your cravings will go away. It's not that. And I thought that he was going to say that when I watched the talk. But what it is, is mindfulness of how you feel while you're doing it. Let me explain. He talks about smokers. And he did a group study where smokers, they were encouraged to smoke and just uh, be present and mindful about what they were feeling and even what they were thinking, I, I guess. I didn't read the whole study. But whatever was going on during the time they were smoking. He said, don't put yourself down for smoking. Just enjoy your cigarette like you always do. But just be mindful of what it feels like, what you're thinking before you light up, when you're lighting up, and while you're smoking. And he said one of the responses that he got, along with many others, was very insightful. One of the smokers said that the uh, smoking tasted like chemicals and smelled like stinky cheese. And eventually she committed this to her mind that every time she picked up a cigarette, it was like sucking in chemicals and smelling like stinky cheese. And she was able to quit. And a lot of the people that he worked with were able to quit, at least in this study. But he's done this for quite a long time now and has learned that this mindfulness is more effective than a lot of the treatments out there. Now, I'm not recommending that you stop your treatments if you're in treatment and get this treatment, or I'm not telling you to go against any doctor's advice. I'm just saying sometimes there are options out there that you may not know about that are worth looking into. So what does this have to do with me? When I quit sugar, when I got the cravings during this sugar sabbatical, I guess I could call it, I would do the exact same thing. In fact, I remember specifically going into a convenience store, walking back to the soda cooler, opening the door, going, you know what? I'm just going to have one Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I'm just going to have one soda. You know, it's, I've been good. I'm just going to have one soda. So I'd reach for the soda and I actually had it in my hand. 
and I thought about what it would be like to drink it before I even opened it. And I imagined it being in my mouth and going down my throat and sitting in my stomach. And I just went through that whole process. And the very first thought was pleasant. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to taste so good and I'm going to feel good when I drink it. But I also remembered, you know, there are other feelings that come along with it. And one of them was the film on my teeth. And I imagine having the soda in my mouth and just having that film. I can feel it now. <laughs> I can feel this film on my teeth. Just having that film just kind of grossed me out. And then I imagined it um, going down my throat. I guess that wasn't, that wasn't too bad. But when it landed in my stomach, I remember it sitting there. The last time I drank it, I just remember it sitting there and it felt like it was burning a hole in my stomach. Now, I don't know if it was the carbonation or the corn syrup or whatever was going on down there, but I, I do remember my body didn't like it. It was telling me ways that it was trying to reject it. So I had this soda in my hand, imagining the film on my teeth and imagining it sitting in my stomach and it felt like it was burning and it was enough for me to put the soda back and walk back out the door and not purchase anything and drive away and I had to do that several times before I finally got into a a better habit which is, you know, drinking water. And I think that's all I drank during my sugar fast because everything else contained sugar unless it was a green drink or something. But even then, you have to be careful. So I did this for two months. I went on my sugar fast for two months. And it completely changed my diet. It completely changed my life because I no longer had uh, cravings for things, for sugary things. In fact... I, I kind of missed it. <laughs> I kind of missed not having cravings. It's it's weird, but you know the pleasure center in our brain loves being activated. And when you eat sugary things, that pleasure center turns on and everything's good. But then everything's bad because you get heavier and uh, sugar does things to your organs and your body. And you know things happen when you overeat sugar. Sugar cane in itself is not a bad food, but it just has to be eaten in moderation. And I'm not here to teach you about sugar or what tell you what to eat or not, but I am here to say that mindfulness was what helped me curb that addiction. If you don't believe sugar is an addiction, then go without it for a week. No matter what, just go without it for a week and see if you can. If you can, then you're probably not addicted. If you can't, like the next day you're going to be like, oh, I'm just going to have one chocolate. (laughs) Then you might have some cravings going on and you just have to think about if you want it in your life or not. So after my sugar fast, my diet changed and I no longer craved it. But I remember I still enjoyed having it in my life and I still enjoyed having that pleasure center activated. But I was thinking, I don't want to be addicted again. So how am I going to introduce, you know, the the regular foods back into my diet, like bread and potatoes and even fruit? How am I going to do that again? 
and will it will it um, make me addicted again? But you know, I have to experiment. I have to try. So I did, and um, I did start introducing that stuff again, and I noticed something completely different. I don't know if it was a mindset shift or what, but when I started eating fruits and white rice and white bread and things like that, or any bread at all, because most of it contains sugar, I noticed that I could go with it or without it, without issue. I could choose to say no or yes, without issue. And sometimes I did say no. I noticed that when I went to restaurants and ate, that when the dessert menu came around, if I was still hungry, I might consider it, but I was almost always not hungry after food. So I stopped choosing desserts. I certainly didn't want soda anymore because I actually did try it just to see what it was like. Like, do I still like soda? And this was a few months later. And the first, and I'm not kidding, the first gulp gave me an instant headache. And I realized, wow, it has that much sugar. (laughs) It gave me such a sugar pounding headache on one drink. I took one gulp and it was instant headache. And I realized, wow, I was drinking this by the 16, 18, 32 ounce big gulps before. And here I am taking one gulp and my body can't even handle it. And I was proud of myself. (laughs) I was like, wow, I was doing that. I'm so glad I stopped that. And that was another reinforcer in my mind. If I ever felt the need or the craving to go back to sugar. That was another tool for my mindfulness exercise is to think not only the film on my teeth, but also that burning in my stomach. And now I have a headache, you know, at least as far as soda is concerned. So I was thinking, geez, you know, I can't just drink water all the time. I need something. Then I started doing water with lemon and then I decided, okay, what about raw sugar? Will that help? And that's when I introduced you know, a little bit of raw sugar in my tea. And then I just decided to only drink, if I'm going to have any type of sugar, I was only going to have it in my tea and it was only ever going to be raw. And ever since then, this has been many, many, many years, the only sweet thing I drink nowadays, with some exceptions, is uh, sweet tea only with raw sugar. I even travel (laughs) with raw sugar to restaurants and it has helped Uh, me tremendously and it has kept the cravings down now I will say that sometimes I wake up and I want caffeine and when that happens I I do cold turkey for the day because I realize wait I want caffeine that's a craving and I just check in with myself and practice some mindfulness and imagine me going through the motions of having it and bringing it to my attention and just feeling everything and thinking whatever comes up, and it helps, and I'm able to just let it pass. And now the reason I wanted to mention this, uh, not because I want you to stop any bad habits, although I do, that would be nice if you have a bad habit and you want to stop it, consider mindfulness. Um, But also uh, something else that I teach is very relevant to this too, and that is addressing the issue in the moment. And what I mean by that is this, if you ever get nervous or you ever get anxious or you ever have any emotions come up before something happens for example this uh, virtual summit that I, I was invited to recently I had to speak in front of thousands of people online in a live event 
and I was getting nervous. So what I did was I, it was like an hour before the summit began. I just sat there in a state of being in the present moment and chose to go, okay, what am I feeling? I'm feeling nervous. All right, good. What else are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling anxious. All right, good. What else are you feeling? I just went through this process of what else am I feeling? Let's just bring it to the surface. I like to call it addressing the emotion in the moment. What else am I feeling? What else am I feeling? What else am I feeling? And then you get to a point where you can't think of anything else that you're feeling, but you're allowing that stuff to come up. And by doing that, you're helping eliminate or at least decrease the resistance of feeling those things. In fact, you can even allow yourself to feel them even more. And there's a reason I say that. Let's just say that you feel a little anxious. Oh, I don't want to feel anxious. So what's the first thing that happens? You resist it. I don't want to feel anxious. Uh, When you're mindful, though, you can go, what do I feel? I feel anxious. All right, bring bring that to my attention. I feel anxious. Great. All right, can I feel more anxious than that? Well, uh, (laughs) I guess so. Um, Now, you're breaking your own pattern here because this is something you never do. You never want to feel more of something that you feel bad about or don't like. But you do it anyway. You go, okay, can I feel more anxious? Uh, Sure, I can imagine something going terribly wrong. Great. Amp that up. Turn it up a little bit. Feel more anxious. I don't like that at all. That's all right. Can you feel more anxious now? Well, yeah, I could probably make it a lot worse if you've listened to my show a while you probably remember the worst case scenario how much how much worse can it get and then you realize wow i can really amp it up which shows that you probably have some control over the level of intensity of maybe anxiety or fear of some sort which means you can also ramp it down how much less worse can it be (laughs) or how less scary can it be what if something turns out right what if i have a great experience and i get a bunch of kudos or clapping or you know you can think of it in many different ways and you'll notice that as you think about it in the different ways your level of anxiety or fear changes so that shows some level of control not a lot but it shows some level of control over your emotions and some people, you know, can't get that at all and they still feel the fear. And I get that. I've been there. Sometimes you just can't eliminate it. Which brings me to my next suggestion, which is when you address the emotion in the moment, express the emotion in the moment, especially if you can to the person or the people that you're with. Now, what I mean by that is I recalled before I spoke on this summit that I wanted to address the emotion inside of me with the presenter, with the the person who was interviewing me. I actually thought about what I was going to say to him. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell him that I've been anxious this whole time. And just thinking about that actually alleviated a lot of the pressure and stress on me. Just thinking about that. So I decided to say that when he finally had me on and that really that, that really calmed me down and so now I was up you know 10 minutes 5 minutes 2 minutes 1 minute boom I'm I'm in the room and everyone can see me 
And so I did. One of the first things I said was, you know, I've been stressing about this for the last few days. I was getting a little bit anxious and, you know, I wasn't sure. I was so nervous and I wasn't even sure why I was nervous because I talked to thousands of people a week on my show. And he laughed and we, we had a good laugh. And he said, you know, I've been preparing for the summit for 18 months and I felt that way the whole time. And then we laughed some more. And then my anxiety and my fear were completely gone. They were gone. Why? Because I expressed what I addressed. I expressed the emotion in the moment. Because when you express what's inside of you in that moment, it has no energy. You squash it. It's gone. Or it has less energy. Because sometimes you're afraid to express it all. But if you can, express as much as you can and just talk about it freely, openly. It really, really helps alleviate it in the moment. Just like a a job interview. I was really nervous in the waiting room uh, before you called me in here. I just feel like, you know, this is where I come in and have to present myself and try to impress you. And I guess I'm nervous about that. Depending on who the employer is, most people will relate. Most employers will relate. They'll be like, yeah, I've been in that position. I know exactly how you feel. And then you'll probably laugh about it. And there'll be a lot of ease in the tension And maybe it'll just go away. Imagine that. It just goes away just by addressing it. And then because you talked about it, it decreased the resistance of feeling it. It, in fact, probably eliminated the resistance of feeling it because we typically don't want to express what we feel. And bringing it up and talking about what we're feeling in the moment is a great way to alleviate what we feel in the moment. Anyway, let's get to our next segment called Ask Paul and dive right into our letter today. Our next segment coming up right now. Once a week, Asha, who is an independent associate for Legal Shield, joins us and tells us a story about one of the many uses for this service. One of the services I've talked about in the last couple of weeks is having my publishing contract checked out by an attorney, and it has been done. They did check it out, and everything's looking good and going forward with it, so I'm happy to report that. But what's great about that is that I did not have to pay the attorney to check it out. I just had to pay for the service. I did not have to pay him anything extra over my subscription cost for the service, which is $20 a month. So to have that kind of power or leverage on your side is phenomenal. I don't care if it's an apartment lease or a new car. If you have a contract, the service is there and well worth it just for that alone. But what would happen if they breached the contract? What if you're working with someone who just doesn't follow through? Do you just automatically go to court? I mean, do you send a letter? Do you call them up? And what if they still don't come through? What do you do then? Asha, help us out here. Yeah, you're right. There is more to contracts than just getting the wording right the first time before you sign it. 
of course, you want to have that protection to make sure that all your bases are covered, that you haven't overlooked something. Sometimes you might think that, oh, no, I, I know that this is right. It covers everything. But an attorney is so used to doing this stuff that they know, but you didn't think of this. You don't know what you don't know until it comes up and slaps you in the face, right? So an attorney does it all the time. So they're used to being able to say, well, this was not covered and this was not covered and this was not covered. I've had that experience with my music contracts with um, my attorney. He says, well, you didn't consider this and you know this doesn't have a close date or whatever. So that's always good. But beyond that step, okay, so now the contract is out and it's signed. But now what happens when the person that you're dealing with, whether it's a private contract or it's a company-to-company contract, what happens when the other party just decides to break their side of it? They just don't follow through. They don't do what they're supposed to be doing. They don't pay what they're supposed to be paying. Then what do you do? Well, if you have an attorney, for instance, and it's a business contract that involves money being paid over milestones or a period of time or whatever is due... You know, when they just don't do their part, they don't meet their requirements, and then they don't pay, you've got to have someone in your corner to help because you can jump through hoops, you can try to make concessions and deals with them, they promise to pay. How many times have you had somebody, oh yeah, yeah, no, the check's in the mail, the check's in the mail, but the check never shows up, and as long as they can keep avoiding you, they will. Companies do this regularly, they pay behind regularly all the time, but there's a point where it's unacceptable. And at that time, you can call the attorney office and you can have them write a collection letter for you. People respond differently when all of a sudden an attorney is involved because they know that you're serious and they know that they're not going to get out of it. So this might be good for someone who owns a a small business and they have to collect from people who don't fulfill their contracts. Yeah, I think that the lowest plan is six um, debt collection letters per month for free. Included in the plan, and I think it's $40 for the plan, okay? For the lowest level, which is up to 10 employees, I think it's, I believe, I'd have to look, I believe it's $40 per month. I mean, $40 per month is one dinner out, and it protects your entire business. You can call and ask for unlimited consultation up until the point that you have to hire representation. You get the discount on the representation. You get free phone calls to somebody else if you need to have a phone call made you get free debt collection letters you get free contract review um, and each plan has a different level of the number of calls contracts and um, debt collection letters that can and regular letters that can be made on your behalf each month I, I don't see how you could possibly go wrong if you're running a business hopefully you're making enough money to cover $40 a month All right. Thank you so much, Asha. It's always educational. (laughs) If they have any more questions about this small business plan, how can they reach you? Go to getoutofthemess.com and choose the small business button. Or you can call me at 678-355-8777. And I am happy to answer any questions, review the um, information with you in detail, and go over the specifics of what each plan um, covers. And we can even do an assessment tool that I have. It's very easy. Uh, walk you through a few questions. It takes about five minutes. And then it'll tell you which plan is the best fit for you for your needs to save you the most money. Thanks again, Asha. You can reach her at 678-355-8777. 
All right, this next segment is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer and help them through the challenge. Here's today's email from someone that I'm going to call Bonnie. She writes, Hi, I just read your article on infidelity. Wow, I've been getting a lot of uh, infidelity emails lately, so I don't know what's going on out there, what phase the moon is in right now, but wow. Anyway, back to her message, it says, I struggle with invasive thoughts and reminders and triggers from my boyfriend's active unfaithfulness. He was texting a woman who he was previously interested in. The entire time we've been dating, I trusted him implicitly, so when I accidentally stumbled upon the texting on his phone, I asked who she was. He responded that she was a friend. After a few days, he showed me the texts, but they were clearly cleaned up and some of them were deleted. He swore that there were no innuendos and there was nothing more than casual conversation, plus the texts were always brief. I saw many of his comments and was very surprised and hurt that they never mentioned me at all, as if he didn't even have a girlfriend. In fact, when she found out that he had a girlfriend, she seemed surprised and even said something to the effect of, well, I guess that means you're attached to someone. To make matters worse, after I found out, he did several things that undermined my trust further. He says he loves me and wants this to work, and I love him too, but it has gotten to the point where I have physical reactions of anxiety and self-doubt every time he's in my presence. I continually talk about what happened, and then I react in extreme anger very often. His reactions are defensive and also angry. I don't know if the fact that my body reacts so strongly is an indication of intuition or false fear. He never consummated this relationship with her. However, his texts to her were attentive, and he was always there for conversation. He thinks that because technically nothing ever happened between them, that what he did wasn't so bad. He never told her that he was in a committed relationship with me, and of course, he never told me that he had continued connections with her. It's a long story, but I feel very unhealthy and very sad, and I just don't know how to resolve this. I feel too old to be having such strong reactions. My children have witnessed my pain, and I feel like I'm being a bad role model. His denial and evasiveness, once I found out, was sickening. He would attack me for asking too many questions. Eventually, he texted her and told her how much he loved me and that he wouldn't be able to talk to her anymore. Shortly after that, we had a big argument where I told him to leave. Well, he perceived this as a breakup, and only a few short days after declaring his love to me, he texted her again and then had a conversation that was filled with flirtatious comments. They still kept in touch, but eventually he stopped communicating with her once again. He said he just liked the attention and never had any intention of leaving me for her or even wanting to date her. And then I was blindsided when I found out that he had still kept in contact with this woman who at one time he was pursuing. But then something else will happen, like the other day I had a doctor's appointment. He was by my side every minute and wants to be there for me in that way. So I feel like I get mixed signals and I just feel like he will always hide things from me. I'm afraid to invite him places with me for fear that he'll find someone more attractive or notice somebody and be very friendly and then who knows what can happen. I have such anxiety about the thought of bringing him places with me, but I don't know how we could possibly have a relationship anymore. This has just been hell for me. 
When we first got together, I told him how much honesty meant to me, and I was very honest to him about many aspects of my life and experiences. I shared with him my fears, particularly in the realm of deception of this kind. I thought I was very safe. Although I must admit, his intense declaration of love for me and telling me that I was so special and wonderful always left me feeling unsettled and nervous, and I wasn't sure where that came from. Perhaps deep down, I knew that there was something about this man I couldn't trust. Can you help me sort this out? I'm obsessing about it. I can't be with him or look at him without feeling sick, but at the same time, I don't know that I can leave him. He is very involved with my children, and he is great support to me in many logistical ways. We have fun together, and we laugh a lot, we play music, and he'd become my very best friend in the whole world. I just don't know what to make of this, and especially how he has treated me once I found out. It's like a whole different person took over. I, too, have become a different person that I don't like, and I cannot continue being. I must heal one way or the other, and I just don't see how I can do it when he is with me. But I just hate to let it go. All right, Bonnie, thank you so much for pouring that out. Uh, You're pouring your heart out and sharing that with me, because that is, that's tough. And one of the things that uh, I highlighted while I was reading your letter, I called important, was this. When you first got together and told him how much honesty meant to you, and how you were very honest with your life and your experiences, and you shared with him your fears, particularly in the realm of deception of this kind. Now, the reason I pulled that out of your entire letter is because we, and you've heard me say this, we will always attract the level of dysfunction that we're currently at. In other words, whatever you fear, whatever you're triggered by, Whatever you have not healed from, from your past, will usually be the traits that are prevalent that trigger those things inside of you in your partner. Does that make sense? You may not want to agree with it, (laughs) but it's true. What'll happen, and I don't know about you, but in every single relationship I've had, I can see where I needed to heal by what my partner's behavior was. Whatever made me angry, whatever made me anxious, whatever I feared would usually come out in my partner's behavior, in my girlfriend's behavior, or my wife when I was married. The reason for that is because I was just sharing this with a client of mine named Diane, and she said, use my name on the air. And I was like, okay, I'll use your name on the air. And I laughed. <laughs> so Diane, this is, this is dedicated to you, this part. <laughs> the reason is because we will detect familiarity. Because when we get together with someone, like when we first start dating, there's something, when we like them, there's something comfortable about them. There's something familiar about them. We don't know what it is. It's kind of in the background. It's like a subconscious uh, observation. We're not really conscious of what's uh, what we're picking up, but we just like something about them. It's usually because it's familiar in the sense that What we experienced as children, for example, how people treated us, is sometimes unconsciously what we're looking for in our adult relationships. I mean, you've heard the phrase, you married your father or you married your mother. 
And when people say that, what they mean is that you married someone who has the same qualities and characteristics of the person they're referring to. That's because it's familiar. And you don't even realize you're doing it most of the time. You, you detect or sense qualities or characteristics of the people in your life, of your family, of your friends, in your past, that even though there may have been some dysfunction of some sort, even though there may have been some abuse of some sort, you still associated love and caring and attention with their bad behavior too. You associated what it's like to be loved, what it's like to feel significant, to feel important with those people who also had traits that you didn't like, who also had characteristics and behavior that you didn't like. So what we all tend to do is that we get very comfortable, we get this familiar feeling with the people that we're getting to know because of the familiarity with our past. And what that means is that you're going to get together with people that you are most comfortable with and that remind you, even subconsciously, of those in your past. So if those in your past have caused you any pain and you still have some healing to do and you still haven't resolved that pain, then you're going to find ways to regain that pain in future, current and future relationships. You're not going to do it consciously. It's an unconscious thing. You're going to feel familiar. You're going to feel probably good and loved and significant in those people's lives, the people that you meet, because they have qualities that remind you of what it's like to be loved, even if the love wasn't completely healthy, even if it wasn't really love, or at least the way you should and deserve to be loved. A lot of people have selfish needs and they get them met any way they can uh, and sometimes that hurts other people. So when we're children and our parents still haven't learned to get over their own pains, their hurt brings hurt into our lives. Their pain becomes our pain later on in life. And we just carry it on and we don't know we're doing it. It's all so subtle. So the reason I say that is it is possible that the person you're with now has characteristics that at first were familiar and comfortable, but now they're being revealed. And because you're an adult and you have some sense of independence and autonomy in your life, you're not being cared for like a child, you feel differently about their behavior. Like when you were with your dad or mom, And if there was any type of trauma, abuse, neglect, or even just regular inattention or just not feeling loved enough, and when any of that happened, there was really nothing you could do. When you were a kid, you couldn't really do anything. You were going to have to just make it through because you can't leave. You can't drive off (laughs) and move to another state. I mean, sometimes you can in certain circumstances, but you you get what I mean. When you're with parents, they're going to have to take care of you until you're old enough to move out and have your own place or drive your own car. So you're kind of stuck and then you feel like this is normal. It's normal to be treated or mistreated a certain way. And then you find this quote normal behavior in the people you meet. And then you wonder how in the world did I not see this at first when we first started talking? How did I not see this? You couldn't. 
you can't see something that you still haven't healed from most of the time. You can't see what that person is capable of because it's so unconscious. It's so in the background. You don't even know that behavior exists until after a few weeks or months when their initial, you know, first dating impressions, you know, the dating impressions that you and I have done in our life where we try to make it look like we're better than we really are (laughs) on the first date. Like by the 20th date, you might burp in front of your date, but on the first date, you don't want to burp, even though that's probably really who you are. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not you, but maybe guys, for example. So you, you wear this mask. You give off this other persona of who you are. You fake it a little bit. And then when that finally wears off, then you get to find out who the real person is. But that underlayer that, that you're picking up unconsciously is what you're really familiar with and comfortable with, even if in the past it was abusive or traumatic or neglect or associated in any way to a path of uh, dysfunction or, or pain in childhood. So the reason I tell you that and the reason I pulled it out of your letter is because I wanted you to realize that's what happens when you choose a relationship that you want to be in. It can happen. You just have to be aware that it's happening. You have to be aware of the qualities that you like in someone. For example, if he was highly, highly attentive, which it sounds like he is, it might be something that you really craved or desired because you didn't get enough attention when you were younger. Or, you know, it could be the opposite. I'm just making guesses here. I don't know your whole story. But not having enough of something when you're younger makes you want it more when you're older. It makes you have a driving desire for it when you're older. And that desire is the background or the motivation for every decision that you make today. So anything that you lack when you're a child, you tend to seek out when you're an adult. And if you lacked love, then you're going to overlook, meaning you're going to look more for love than perhaps someone who didn't. For example, when I was a child, you know, I wanted love from a positive male role model, my dad. Um, and my dad, you know, divorced my mom when I was about one. And so I was raised mostly by my stepfather. I went back and forth, but when I was with my stepfather, because he was incapable of just giving me the attention and love that I so craved, I sought that in relationships. I mean, we all seek love pretty much in relationships, but when you come from that lack in your childhood, you tend to settle for people that may not be 100% compatible with you because you just want that love feeling. So you'll settle for sometimes dysfunctional people and be blind to their dysfunction because you feel the love, you feel the attention, and you turn off those receptors that pick up on the red flags. We've all done it. (laughs) We've all gotten into a relationship where it just didn't turn out right and we didn't see these signs in the beginning because we were so blind to those signs. But when they appeared, we're like, who are you? Like you said, I don't know who he is anymore. He's just, he changed. 
Anyway, let me uh, go into a break here and come back and uh, hit some bullet points that I really want to hit on so that maybe you can have some sort of uh, takeaway with this. But I just wanted to stress that any type of relationship that you get into from this point on, whether you stay with this person or not, needs to be examined carefully because who you bring into the relationship is how the relationship will reveal itself. Dysfunctions and all. (laughs) Any type of healing that you need to do reveals itself as some sort of uh, issue or challenge that will come up in a way that will be unpleasant, typically. And those relationships can work if you're both willing to help each other heal or one of you help the other heal through it. But sometimes they don't. We'll be right back and we'll wrap this up with some of my insights about the other things that you said in your letter. Stand by. All right, like I said earlier, uh, I've been getting a lot of messages regarding infidelity and betrayal. Now, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but when I was sharing an office with uh, therapists and we would just, we would like to be a timeshare. I would get the office for an hour and they would get the office for an hour and uh, we would see clients. And this was back in when I had a hypnosis practice in Texas. I would talk with them and we would share stories. I mean, not revealing any client information, but We would talk back and forth, and I would ask them questions regarding uh, what type of clients come in and what type of problems they uh, work with with those clients. And I asked one question, which was, what is the most hurtful or painful issue or most challenging issue that they have to work through with a client or with their clients? And the answer was betrayal. The answer was infidelity. And they said, besides losing a child, infidelity can be the most painful thing that one has to go through, emotionally speaking. can be the most painful event in someone's life. And, you know, I had never experienced infidelity to my knowledge, or at least I wasn't made aware of it if it happened. But I can imagine what it would be like. And I can also not imagine what it might be like, but... When I try it on in my head and I go, wow, if my girlfriend cheated on me and I put all this love and trust in her and I felt safe with her to share my secrets and we only share our body with that person and our life with that person. And if I found out she was sharing her emotions and her body and other things with someone else behind my back, what would that be like? And It's not pleasant at all. In fact, it's like she took my heart out of my chest and drove to her other boyfriend's house and threw my heart on the street. It's that painful. I mean, there's no way to describe the pain because you opened up yourself to someone else and you felt safe in their presence, in their arms. You felt safe with your secrets with them. And now there they go, sharing themselves with someone else, someone that you trusted. Now, I don't mean to put the scare into you. I don't mean to <laughs> make you feel bad about what if it happened to you or if you think it's happening to you. But, you know, I've had to work with clients that have been through this. And 
again, it's the most, one of the most painful things you can deal with. So if you're in a situation where you are still suffering from the pain of infidelity and you cannot get past the idea that someone did that to you or you just don't feel as worthy as you once did, then besides listening to this show or listening to other shows or seeking out therapy, you can also reach out to me for coaching. I want you to feel better no matter what it takes. But if you've tried other shows, if you've tried reading about it, if you've tried getting better in every way, if you've seen professionals and you still haven't gotten past some of the pain and some of the low self-worth issues that may have come up, then reach out to me. I will help you get to an empowering place. There's no reason to continue suffering. You know that I know that you are amazing. And I want you to feel that way. And maybe that's why you're listening to this show. You want to feel amazing. You want to be this worthy, wonderful person that you know you are inside. Or that you believe is in there. Or maybe you don't know is in there. And I will help bring it up and out of you. So that you can experience the world from a different place. From a different lens. So reach out to me. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. If you want to work one-on-one. Or if you're not in a position to do that yet, you don't have the time, the money, or you're not even ready to do that yet, then keep listening to the show. Keep going to The Overwhelmed Brain and reading the articles that I put out there. Go to healingbroadcastnetwork.com and I write articles over there as well. But always move forward. Just always move forward. Always keep that forward momentum and keep going so that you can heal sometimes one day at a time and just create the life that you really want for yourself. All right, let's finish up Bonnie's letter. There's a few points I want to hit on and then we'll uh, wrap up the show and we'll say goodbye. Uh, I did want to get to another email today, but I tend to talk a lot. (laughs) So uh, for those of you, like I had uh, someone uh, unsubscribe from my newsletter the other day and she said, "Uh, your show is just too long. I can't listen anymore. And I'm thinking, yeah, probably right. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, if you're in a position where you need to hear this stuff or you're getting some value from this or it's the exact situation you're in, you probably don't want a three minute answer. You may not want a 55-minute answer either, but <laughs> I hope this helps you uh, if you're in this position or if you ever, if you have any friends that are in this position or whatever's going on in the letter writer's life, I'm sure you can relate to in some way. I mean, I talk about relationships and sometimes I talk about personal things that are that you're going through and maybe you're depressed, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're feeling negative in some way. You know, a lot of our problems do have to do with relationships, which is why I talk about that a lot. And most of my letters are about relationships. Some, mostly recently, have been about infidelity, which is why it's kind of a topic for the month. I hope March or April is not infidelity month. Uh, Let's change that. Let's do something different than that. But it does happen, and I will talk about it, because it's just a big thing it's just going to happen and we we will be blindsided like bonnie has been blindsided 
So we just need to be aware of it. Not paranoid, but just be aware, not only of the warning signals, but also what we can do if it does happen to us. So anyway, back to Bonnie's letter. The first bullet point I want to talk about is your comment about feeling too old to have such strong reactions. You're never too old to feel like someone is hurting you or disrespecting you or not loving you in the way you deserve. You're never too old for that. So don't feel like you're too old for that. Just know that it makes you human like the rest of us. And when you put your trust and security and your your feelings of security in someone and they betray that in some way, it's going to hurt. You will have strong reactions in one way or another. Now you said that you feel that he'll always hide things from you and that you just feel sick and being with him and taking him places. Well, here's the bad news. Even if your fear is 100% unjustified, even if you are 100% wrong about him hiding things from you or lying to you or doing things behind your back, you will never be able to escape that fear. You won't. It will always be there. It won't go away because you always have something in the back of your mind going, well, that doesn't feel right. That's not right. Almost always, the reason your intuition kicks in, and that is your intuition, is because it's probably true. That's the bad news. The good news is you have a choice. You have a choice to want to stay with someone knowing that they are like that, that they might lie or betray or cheat, or you can leave. Most likely because of what you already told me, he is hiding things from you. Again, we typically don't have thoughts like this unless we're led to believe that they're true in some way. The trick is to turn off your compassion and empathy for just a day and turn on your logic and ask yourself, what are the facts? One, he hides texts from you. Red flag. Two, he was caught and then he got you to trust him again. And then he blindsided you by hiding or lying about something again. Red flag. Three, he still does things that cause you to question his integrity. Red flag. When you turn off your compassion and your empathy and you don't say, oh, that poor guy, or whatever you're thinking. Maybe you're not thinking that. Maybe you just think he's a jerk. I don't know. But you've stayed in the relationship I don't know if you're just having trouble accepting that he's always going to be that way. Or maybe you believe that he will change. He won't. He won't change. And the reason I tell you this, and the reason I'm so blunt about it, is because even if I'm wrong and he does change, you're still looking at what's happening today and what you need to do for yourself today. Because either you rely on the hope that he will change whether that happens or not, or you take care of yourself first and foremost, and if he changes later, and there's enough proof that he did change, then at that time, you'll be in a healthier place to make the decision to get back together with him. Does that make sense? In other words, and I'm not telling you to stay or leave, but if you did leave now, 
It would hurt. The pain would come hard and fast, and then you could start healing. And then he would have the opportunity to know what life is like without you, and he would be in his own thoughts going, wow, what do I really want in my life? Was it worth doing all that? Was I just trying to fulfill some selfish need? Am I immature? Whatever thoughts come up for him. Or maybe he'll just see it as the opposite and go, wow, she's a B.I. you know what, and she shouldn't leave me. (laughs) Whatever thoughts come up for him. But you'll both have an opportunity to think for yourselves without the influence of those other people in your mind. So if you do leave, it'll be a hard and fast pain that will come and then it will start to alleviate and then you'll start to heal and then you'll be in a healthier place to make the decision to take him back or not because either he's going to change because of that or he won't change and he'll be the same but you'll be in a healthy place to determine if he is in a healthy place to be in the relationship again so again i'm not telling you to stay or go but i am saying that it's important to come to that healthy place in yourself so that you don't have a clouded view of what's really going on and while you're in enmeshed embroiled in everything that's going on in the relationship right now you have a clouded viewpoint your perspective is foggy it's biased there are probably things you love about this relationship and there are probably things that you hate about this relationship but most of the time and i can hear it in your letter you're unhappy you're in fear you're in doubt you're suspicious so think about being with someone all the time for days weeks months and years on end and always feeling that way to me that's not a relationship i don't know what you define that as but to me a relationship is being happy or at least satisfied and in peace most of the time yes there are going to be challenges yes you're going to fight about money or the kids or what you're doing in the house or where you're going to live i mean there's all kinds of things to fight about and and challenges that are going to come up but are those the prevalent things in life and are you happy 80 90 95 percent of the time or 80 90 95 percent of the time are you suspicious in fear not sure because if you are then in my opinion you're not empowered and you're not in the right place. The reality is, where are the green flags? You see all the red flags, but where are the green flags? You say he stands by your side when you need him most, and that's nice. But I guess that's only nice if you prefer the company of someone who splits his time and attention between you and someone else. I'm all about you making decisions that are healthy and give you forward momentum. If you choose to stay in the rut of doubt and fear that's your choice and you have the right to make that choice for whatever reason but do so knowing that your partner cannot be trusted and that he is likely to lie about the things that he knows will upset you if you can accept him for that then you may get along (laughs) splendidly however I don't know too many people that can accept a partner like that so those kind of people will feel hurt and they'll continue the relationship voluntarily continuing to get hurt and continuing to wonder if they're being betrayed or not what you really need to get beyond this one way or another is closure 
What needs to happen is for you to come to an acceptance that He will never change. Let me repeat that. He will never change. And once you come to this realization, then your decision is easy. And you can accept who He is and stay with Him or accept who He is and leave. Now, if you want to leave but can't because of kids, money, security, and all that, then what I recommend you do is start planning to leave. So, as he continues to flirt with his backup plan, and I'm sure you know what I mean by that, if he leaves you, then he has someone as a backup plan. That doesn't feel very good. And he's hiding her from you, and he's getting all his selfish needs met. At least you'll be creating your own backup plan. So that when you are blindsided again, and you will be blindsided again, you'll have an exit strategy. Now let me just wrap this up with a bottom line. And that is this. Whether I'm right or wrong about him changing or not isn't the issue. Because if you leave, it gives you both a chance to assess the situation without the other person influencing you in your day-to-day decisions. But the beauty about this is that when you can get away long enough so that you can think clearly and be in your own head without having to worry about how your decisions will affect him or how his decisions will affect you, you start to realize bigger truths and you also realize who is more important in your life. And if you need a clue, you are the most important person in your life right now. You need to treat you as someone you want to love and protect. When you're able to step back and see what people are doing to you, you have a chance to become the one who steps in and takes care of you. You know what I mean? So, Bonnie, really the only battle here is in yourself. This really isn't about him anymore. It's about your own struggle with the decision that you want to make for yourself. And that decision is to stay with someone you know is not going to change. And maybe you don't know he's going to change. But I want you to develop a belief that he will never change. Because when you know, at least believe, that he will never change, then you can make decisions based on that, quote, fact. And even if you're wrong that he'll never change, then why do you have to stick around until he changes? Why do you have to be with someone that you feel that way about? until they change. Let them change on their own so that you do not affect his change and he will not be affected by you. That doesn't mean I want you to leave and I'm not telling you to leave because you have a whole set of circumstances that you have to consider, but at least realize that he will never change so that you can make the right decision based on that belief. You will get out of the rut when you build a belief that allows you to make a decision period. I want you to have the best life possible. So I hope this helps you, Bonnie. I hope you're able to get into a better place and start honoring the person I know you to be. Don't believe you're anything less than you are. Start honoring the person I know you to be and step into empowerment because that's when true change and true healing takes place. I wish you the best.
All right, we're going to wrap it up now, and I'm going to close the show. And I want to thank you for joining me. And I have something coming up that uh, should I mention? <laughs> should I mention it? Because then it's kind of an accountability thing if I say it's coming up and I don't do it. Well, let's put it this way: um, I'm thinking about doing a podcast experiment. And I think that's all I'm going to say about it because I haven't done all the logistics yet. But just stay tuned because I have something coming up that I want to share with you. You know, it's it's all podcast related. You just tune in and listen and we'll see what happens. But I'll definitely mention it uh, on next week's episode. So definitely tune in then and hear what's going to happen. This show won't change, but I do have an experiment that I'm thinking about doing. So I'll share that with you next week. Ah, don't you hate cliffhangers? <laughs> I look forward to talking with you then. And thanks for tuning in. And as the music gets louder, I'll say my goodbyes and then we will talk again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I have a quick question for you Are you the type of person that just stops playing? right now after I say thank you for listening before I talk about all the credits for the people who contributed to the show or the sponsors or do you keep listening to the end (laughs) the reason I said that is because I wonder if people stop the show right before I talk about all the stuff they probably don't care about and uh, what are they missing well I'm going to tell you what you're missing if you're one of those people that stop the show you miss my final thoughts And you might be saying, well, big deal. Final thoughts. Well, there's more after the credits. And sometimes I put an Easter egg after the music. So if you've stopped the show even before the music ended, you might have missed something then. It's not always. I I can't put it in every episode. Then you'll know what to expect. But, you know, every now and then I like to have fun. Sometimes you'll hear an outtake (laughs) from Asha, (laughs) the person, the independent associate from Legal Shield. Like, right now, I want to thank Asha. She's with GetOutOfTheMess.com. And I always say you can move forward alone and hope things go well, or you can pay less than a dollar a day for the personal plan, because we talked about the business plan today, uh, to get a team of attorneys to get you through almost any situation. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can pay up to 20 bucks a month for the personal plan or for the business plan $40 a month. That's crazy, crazy good. You cannot get any type of legal advice for that amount, let alone have letters written and contracts reviewed and debt collection advice, all this other stuff. So go to getoutofthemess.com or call Asha at 678-355-8777. And if you're still listening and you're not typically a person who listens this far, I usually say that I'm thanking you. I mean, this is my opportunity to thank you for listening to the show, for purchasing one of my books, for purchasing a worksheet, for going to the Amazon link on my site. People who shop on the Amazon link give us money towards the show. I mean, you're not spending any more, but Amazon thanks us by sending us what's called an affiliate commission. And it's great. People use the link. They don't even have to do anything special. So if you're using the Amazon link, and you can drag that link to your computer's desktop if you're doing it on your computer, then every time you shop at Amazon, it contributes to the show. This is why I'm able to do this for almost two and a half years now, because people use the Amazon link. 
And some people donate. I'm so grateful when you donate. Thank you. And lastly, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. So here's the part where I talk about anything that comes to mind. We don't always make the best choices when we have healing to do in ourselves, which goes back to exactly what I said about choosing a partner in a new relationship. What do you see? Do you see what you really need in your life and you don't see all the red flags or you're blinded to the red flags or do you see what's really in front of you and realize what you're getting? Most of the time you don't know what you're getting because people are putting on that mask for a first impression and you don't really get to see who they are until you're deep in it (laughs) and things are already far along. So what do you do? There's, what can you do? You just do your best and you try not to come from that place of, I need this person in my life because I want to feel love, because I want to feel worthy. Because when you come from that place, you'll probably get other things along with that that you didn't want. And if you're not healing from that stuff before you get into a relationship, they will be exposed in the relationship later. Not always, not with everyone. We're all complex beings with our own unique behaviors and processes, but it's just something to be aware of and always stay cognizant of both the red flags and the green flags. If we just look for the green flags, then we never see the red flags, and then we ignore our intuition. Don't ignore your intuition. That's a tool. Utilize it and be aware that you're aware. And with that, open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, end of the episode. That's it. It's the end.